Hi, this is Peter Schwartz, public address announcer for the Cosmos, and you're listening to the First Team Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of First Team Podcast Extra Time. This is part two. I just got off the call with Sunil Galati, the conference call that was held earlier today. And I'm going to give you my thoughts on the call. I wasn't able to ask a question um, because you have to click uh, star one and you're put into this queue. And as you may know, there's a lot of media outlets that are on this call. So for about 20-30 minutes, that's how long I was in this queue for, and then they finished the conference call because it's a high-profile person in U.S. soccer. They're not going to give you an hour or two to ask him questions. So my thoughts on the call is that Sunil was getting the same questions, and you will hear the conference call later on, but he was getting the same questions, and he was right to get pressured. The one thing I don't understand from a U.S. soccer president is how can he come out and be so confident? How can he come out and be so cocky on the call, right? The United States, they didn't qualify for a World Cup. And then he goes on the call and says, I'm the best guy for the job. We still have things that we want to do. How can you say that? He's talking about, we want to host the World Cup. Okay. But that's what he wants to be remembered for. That's why he's still in the job. He doesn't care about stabilizing the lower divisions. He doesn't care about the NASL. And this is the problem. We have a U.S. soccer president and the board that just cares about their own interests. They just care about hosting the World Cup and promoting MLS and keep on making money. This is what it's all about. And when the United States missed out on the World Cup and they didn't qualify and Bruce Arena comes out and says that they won't beat change, I was on Twitter saying that there will be change. There has to be change. Sunil has to leave. Bruce Arena has to resign, and he did today. I personally thought that Sunil and Bruce will be out within the day or two after that match. One person has left. But Sunil Galati, he's not going to go down so easily. He's not just going to walk out. He's been on the job for 12 years. We have to remember this. He's been in the job for 12 years. I don't think he's done a great job, but he talks 
like he's been the best president of all time. For a president to be in the job for 12 years, he's going to go down with a fight if that's the presidency in February, if he decides to run, if the likes of Paula Pointe or Stephen Gaines or Eric Winalda will compete against him and hopefully win, then that will be great because we need change. And I think the one positive out of this conference call is that the media, the media, the people that I've been banging on about and saying that they're not reporting the truth. And a lot of people come out with, well, they can't report the truth because if they do, then they'll get fired. But why can't the mainstream media talk bad about U.S. soccer or talk bad about Sunil or Bruce Arena? And this is what I don't understand. We live in a free country. If you want to write whatever you want about U.S. soccer or soccer across the world, everyone has their own opinion. And U.S. soccer thinks that it's right to intervene and interfere with uh, the media. And that's a problem. That's a problem. When you have Sunil Gulati coming out with a quote saying, and I'm not going to curse on the show, but he came out with a quote and he said this to a journalist. He said, if you mess with me, I'll mess with you, right? I'll mess you up. How can a U.S. soccer president come out with that? How can he say that? The people at the top, they care about their image. They care about what they're doing, not for the fan. They care about sort of their image in other people's eyes on the board and so on. A question was asked, I think, from Brian Strauss. And he was saying, like, why doesn't the U.S. soccer president have like public backing? And I think that was a fair question. Because the people within the game, right, so the board members, the state associations, they have a vote on the U.S. soccer president. Brian Strauss from Sports Illustrated was trying to say, why doesn't the U.S. soccer president have public backing? And Sunil came out with, we do. We have the fans that are members of U.S. soccer. But the fans have to pay for that, right? They don't have a massive say, but they have a vote. They have a vote. But fans today, without us paying a dollar to U.S. soccer, we have a voice. And that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter if you're on this fan committee or you have a Twitter account or you started your own media outlet. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Use your voice. Every single fan has one. And use it the right way. Go on social media and share your opinion. Get together with people. And talk together. And have a discussion. This is why I started this podcast. Because the New York Cosmos were not being covered. Sort of the way I wanted to see the club covered, right? So I created First Team Podcast. Just a regular fan that loves the Cosmos. That loves U.S. soccer. And I'm voicing my opinion. I'm giving you, the supporter, the opportunity to hear these things. To hear some interviews. And we can have a conversation. I want to hear your opinion. And that's the most important thing. But Sunil. Sunil doesn't want to hear anyone's opinion. He only wants to hear himself. When you hear this call. You will hear Sunil's tone. And I talked about this. When I had the opportunity to talk to Sunil one on one. 
and he was talking to me like he was better than me or he was overconfident because of his position. So that's what he does. When he gets a question that he thinks is stupid or he thinks is not right, he will change the tone of his voice and it sort of puts that journalist down. And that's just my opinion. So I would like to hear your thoughts on that one um, when you listen to the full audio. So I hope you guys enjoy the full media call. It was great to be a part of it, but I wish I would have got my question in. But like I said earlier, there was a massive queue and it's a national call. A lot of people are on this conference call. Media from across the nation and it's insane. You have mainstream journalists, you have other media outlets that are not so massive on this media call. Probably thousands of people on this call and only about 30 minutes of questions and answers. So I can go on and on all day long and talk about how I feel about this call and maybe I will. Maybe I will. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about this on next week's First Scene Podcast Extra Time but I just thought it was only right to give you my thoughts right after the media call and give you, the supporter, the opportunity to listen to the media call in full. But before we get there, I want to hear from you. So right after you hear this, email the show, firstteampod at gmail.com or our Twitter or Facebook, firstteampod, that's firstteampod. So get on our social media, our email, and I want to hear from the supporter. What do you think about this conference call? Why do you think Senor Galati is not going to resign? Because he got that question a lot through the call. But like I said earlier, it's well-deserved. It's well-deserved. We failed to qualify for the World Cup. He fired Jurgen. He brought in Bruce Arena. His one objective was to qualify for the World Cup. He failed. He resigned today. But Senor Galati is still in a job. So it's shocking. It's really shocking when you sit down and think about this. We're not in the World Cup. Sunil is still in the job. The media are going to bang on this drum for a very long time. Why won't you resign? Who's going to be the next head coach? It's never going to end. And that's the most important part of this whole disaster created by the U.S. men's national team. But in another way, and you can check out my article, it's a good thing that we will see change eventually. And Sunil Galati, for the first time, will be challenged by Paula Pointe, Stephen Gaines, Eric Winalda, if he decides to run, and other candidates as well. Here is the full audio from the conference call with Sunil Galati. And after you listen to this call, I want to hear your thoughts. Given that we haven't qualified for the first time in, in 28 years, but we'll look at everything from our player development programs to our coaching, to our refereeing, to our facilities, to the pay-to-play model, to the role of education and universities, all of those things. Um, And where we need to make major changes, we'll do that. Where we need to make incremental changes, we'll do that. We'll take our time with that. um, And unfortunately, we have the luxury of time before we have competitive games again with the senior team, but all of our youth teams and, and a number of our women's teams are still playing. So we will take a deep dive into that. We'll probably get some external help um, so as to not to be insular in how we look at these things. But basically everything uh, will be looked at. Um, qualifying is not acceptable, not acceptable to us, to leadership, to our board, uh, and certainly to our fans, players, and everyone else involved in the game. Uh, we had a board meeting uh, last night to discuss some of these things very briefly. 
uh, and that's the path we've chosen uh, to go forward with. And with that, I am, uh, I'm happy to take uh, any questions. All right, thanks, Sunil. And we will open it up to the first three people who will ask questions. First up will be Ron Blum, then Steve Goff, and then Grant Wall. Ron, your line should be open. Hi, Sunil. Looking back, what do you think are the biggest reasons the pipeline of players has sputtered so much in the last decade, causing uh, a lack at certain places that has led to this in the last two Olympic teams failing to qualify? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I'd identify one reason or say that the, the pipeline has dried up. If you look at the players that are in the pipeline now, and, and they're maybe a little bit younger, some of the ones that people know quite a bit about, whether it's Christian or Weston McKinney or Matt Miazga or Carter Vickers. So clearly we didn't qualify for two, two Olympics, and that perhaps left a gap of a few years of players who had a lot of experience and might have been able to help us in this. But I don't think I can point to one single thing. Um, if we could, then we would try to rectify that, that one point. Um, so I think it's any number of things, but I'm not going to prejudge that. We're going to look at everything and see what's gone wrong, what we can do better, and what needs to be completely overhauled. Thanks, Ron. Next up is Steve Goff. How much uh, – obviously Bruce is out now. Um, how, how much responsibility do you take as the president of the Federation for the situation – um, and do you also plan to step aside or, or not seek re-election in a few months? Where, where do you stand on that? Well, I think I said early on in this comment, Steve, I take full responsibility. Um, and on the second two questions, no, I don't plan to resign. Uh, and it's not, the, it's not the right day for me to talk about future, my personal future plans in terms of uh, the Federation's presidency. Thanks, Steve. Next up is Grant Wall. Before we get to Grant, the next three will be Jeff Carlisle, Nancy Armour, and Paul Tenorio. Grant, go ahead. Good morning, Sunil. Uh, you have yet to announce, as you just said, that you will not run again for the U.S. Soccer Presidency in February. Knowing that you have already had 12 years in the presidency and can still have a big impact on the FIFA Council until 2021, and by leading the organization of World Cup 26, why would it be a good thing after this shock to the system and your role in it for you to be rewarded with four more years as U.S. soccer president? Well, I don't think that's a, that's a decision that you or I get to make. That's a decision that people that get to vote make. Um, I don't judge whether it's this Bruce's record on this last game, uh, but the totality of everything he's done. And if I look at the totality of where we've come from and where the game is generally now with our professional leagues, with player development, with our economic resources, all of those things, those things didn't happen overnight, and they didn't happen on their own. So I think if you look at all of that, then, then I'll make a decision and voting delegates can make a decision. Thanks, Grant. Next up is Jeff Carlisle. Hi, Sunil. Um, you said you haven't made a decision about whether you're going to run for USSF president again. So who is going to oversee this process of, of hiring the next coach, and how will this process differ in light of the fact that the person that started the cycle didn't finish it the last two times? Uh, well, 
we've got two different processes. One is a short-term process about who's going to take the team in November, and then a longer review of the program um, and decisions about long-term planning for the coach. We don't need a, a long-term four-year commitment to a coach by February or March. Uh, I'm not saying that won't happen, but that's not necessary. What we need is someone to guide the team in November, and that's that's a, a much easier, straightforward decision because it's a short-term situation. Before we get to Nancy, the next three in order will be Paul Tenorio, Philip Bondi, and Ann Peterson. Go ahead, Nancy. Um, so now two questions. When will you make a decision on, on running again? And looking back in this qualifying cycle, what would you have done? To, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? Um, well, certainly, Nancy, there are things you would do differently. Um, I think that's probably true for all of us, and it's certainly true for me. The number of places um, that one can make substantive changes or decisions in my role are relatively limited, but they're big decisions, obviously. The same is true for the coach or for players. So clearly, anytime you don't achieve the results you want, you look back and you would do some things differently. I don't think um, I don't think I want to get into any of the specifics uh, because quite often they're, they're personnel decisions. Um, so I don't think I'm going to get into any specifics, but I would certainly do some things differently. And a decision on when you – a decision on running when you'll make that? in the coming weeks. All right, next up is Paul Tenorio. Paul, your line should be open. Thanks. Um, just to follow up on Jeff's question, uh, who exactly will be making the decision on the short-term coach, and do you believe that a change in process is needed when choosing the long-term coach where it's not just one person but perhaps multiple people in power, powerful positions, whether it's a technical director or some sort, making a decision on who will be the next long-term coach of the U.S. national team? So um, all of those decisions aren't made by one person. In the end, it's my final decision, but we have a, we have a search committee. We go through a process, and it's not, it's not a singular person that makes the decision. Uh, the final decision clearly has to be made by one person. So in the short term, um, that will come down to three, four of us that are part of that process for the November decision. That's much easier, and the longer-term decision will will have a, a group of people that will look at this and maybe take a little bit longer. So there may be a change in that process, but it's never been a singular decision. And that's right, true whether it's on the men's side or the women's side. Next up is Philip Bondi. Uh, hey, Sunil. Um, I guess you could say this was either the third or fourth time that a coach that you rehired after a relatively successful run did not succeed. Is, is that a coincidence, do you think, uh, or is there a lesson here to be learned? Um, I, I don't think you can draw uh, full conclusions from a relatively small sample. The, 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 and I talked about this some years ago. When people point out that second uh, cycle coaches after the World Cup haven't done as well um, as they did traditionally in their first cycle. A couple of things. It's a very small sample, and it's a biased sample in that people that get renewed generally have done well in their first cycle. Otherwise, you don't get renewed. So to try to, uh, to mimic uh, those early results, again, is not easy. So that's, that's a very small sample. 
Um, so I don't, I don't know if there's a definitive pattern. There are some models around the world where people have been successful both cycles uh, and in other cases less so. So if you look at Bruce's record, and in, in this case it's, it's uh, two cycles plus, um, you know, every World Cup run we've had since 1990, including our participation at the World Cup, with the exception, I'd say, of 1998, the margin has been extraordinarily narrow. So I could talk about 90 uh, in qualifying, 94 in getting through the second round, 98 is a misnomer, or not a misnomer, but outlier, 2002. We were in a similar situation at the, end of the, at the end of the first round where our game was out of hand and we were waiting for results in another game. 2006, uh, in a play and a penalty kick. 2010, Landon's late goal. Uh, 2014, uh, Ronaldo's late goal. So the margin is quite narrow, and I'm not sure that I could draw any sensible conclusions about second cycle coaches based on that. And, and Sunil, I just want to check. It sounded like you tipped your hand a little bit earlier when you said it's up to the voters on the matter of the presidency. Uh, is, does that mean you're going to be listening to the voters in the next few weeks? Or, or what, 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 what did you mean by that? Or, or should I not read in, into it at all? You, you shouldn't read into that. It's the, 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 the question was about being president again. The first decision is the one I have to make, and then the second one, if I decide to, that I'm going to seek election again, then the voters get to decide. All right, before we get to Ann Peterson, uh, Eric, can you please remind people how to get in the queue to ask a question? Thank you. Once again, to ask a question, please press star 1. Thanks, Eric. And after Ann, we will have Michael Lewis, Brian Strauss, and Ramsey Sandoval. Next up is Ann. Go ahead. Thanks, Neil. Um, Sunil, are there any specific issues that you can point to when it comes to player development or anything that you'd like to take a And I, I can't hear you very well or almost at all. And you still there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. We just couldn't hear you there at first. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you, Sunil. Um, I was wondering if there are any specific issues that you can point to in terms of issues with player development or anything that you'd like to target when it comes to, uh, you know, taking a deep look at the system. And will MLS be involved in, in whatever changes that you guys are looking at? So the answer to the first question is, I have certain thoughts, but I don't think we have all the answers, so we will look at everything. The, the unique situation we have is, is that we have far more resources now than we've ever had, and our number one priority has always been player development, along with health and safety and, and, and so on. So we have more resources for two reasons. One, because U.S. soccer has more resources now, and two, because of MLS and its academy system and its millions and millions of dollars of investment in, in uh, player development. So MLS uh, and our other professional leagues will certainly be involved. Uh, MLS has been the most involved uh, in youth player development, uh, you know, in a partnership in some cases with us, in other cases uh, in slightly different ways. So all of the things that we all talk about uh, over the last decade, the pay-to-play model, inner-city soccer, what should we be doing at youth levels, and so on. We're going to look at all of that, and some of those things will no doubt uh, get adjusted, and others we think we may be on the right track, 
Well, we'll look at that in a comprehensive way with resources behind it and, and see what the best way going forward is. We've looked over the last several years at a lot of different models around the world and tried to adapt some of them to the unique circumstances of the United States. That will continue, and as I mentioned, we'll try to get some outside expertise to look at, look at what we're doing so we're not, we're not doing things in an insular way, uh, and maybe we're not on track in some areas, and, and then we'll make adjustments. Thanks, Ann. Next up is Michael Lewis. Uh, thanks, Neil, and uh, thanks, Neil, for uh, having the call. Uh, one of the uh, mission statements of Major League Soccer when it was formed way back when was to improve the uh, performance of the U.S. national uh, soccer teams and competitions. A number of people have claimed uh, MLS has also helped uh, your CONCACAF rivals. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? So I don't – look, the, the fact that um, we have a number of teams um, in the in the region and uh, in, obviously in CONCACAF that have important players playing in the league is, I think, a positive thing overall for the league and for our overall development because our players are playing against better players or the, the competition is better. I don't think there's any way to to uh, to deny that that helps some of those national teams. I also don't think there's any rationale in trying trying to, to limit that or prohibit that in any way. For sure, having top players from France playing in the Premier League, as an example, helps the French national team. But the Premier League would never think, okay, we're not going to allow that to happen. Um, while most of the goals of MLS and U.S. soccer are in sync, um, it's not 100% the case. And MLS has to continue to grow. And I think that the league's growth, including with international players, uh, is good for the long-term development of the game. I have no doubt it's helped the U.S. national team program. And Tuesday doesn't, doesn't change my view of that. Um, and the fact that there are players, whether it's from Trinidad or Costa Rica, playing in the league uh, who are helped uh, doesn't change my view of that. Thank you, Michael. Next up is Brian Strauss. Uh, good morning, guys. Sunil, um, I'm still trying to figure out the right way to phrase this, so forgive me, but a big part of what you guys do in terms of your marketing and your outreach and all that kind of stuff is, is representing the country, representing the United States. You, I, I believe sincerely you guys take that seriously. Um, so with that being said, in, does your position as leader of American soccer require some kind of public mandate or public support? If, if, you, if you represent the country, do you need the country to be backing you in order to continue in your position? When you, what, what do you mean by public mandate? We have, a, we have a public mandate and a legal mandate, Brian, through the United States Olympic Committee um, right. and requirements with all sorts of representation. But U.S. soccer, like all of the other NGBs, is a membership-based organization. And we recently added fans to our voting constituency for the first time. I don't know if any uh, NGB around the world, any soccer NGB has that. So we've given now fans direct representation at our shareholders meeting. It's a first happened at our last meeting, and it's not 50% of the vote or anything like that, but it's a, sure. stake. it's a stake. And I don't know that any other NGB in the United States or around the world has that. We've got independent directors. I only know of two around the world that have that, two, two soccer bodies. 
We have athlete representation as required by U.S. law. I don't. I know of very few. There's a couple around the world that have that. So we are far less insular than virtually any governing body in, in the sport around the world in terms of having some fan representation, having independent representation, and having athletic representation. And then the others are obviously elected by, by constituent groups, whether it's youth, adults, and so on. I think you'd find that a much broader base of, of voters and uh, representation than you'd find it almost anywhere else in the world. Thanks, Brian. Before we get to Ramsey's, the next three will be Ivis Galarsep, Ian Thomas, and Paul Kennedy. Go ahead, Ramses. Good morning. Uh, Sunil, first of all, for the coaching change, the permanent coaching change that, that you guys are going to be looking at, is there a, a profile in mind, South American, European, American, somebody with an MLS? Obviously, the rumor surface right out of the bat, but within the committee or within yourself, is there a profile you guys are looking at in, in order not, not to have a, a failing process again or a situation where you got to coach mid-qualifying mid round two? to 2022 and the second one the games that are going to be played that you talked about in europe were those pre-set already pre-elimination up to the world cup or are those going to be uh, were those set up uh um, yeah on the first question uh no i don't think there's a definitive profile uh, someone who can lead the team to success and help us with overall technical improvement so uh, from my perspective perspective right now and we'll talk internally uh, whether it's uh, international or domestic or what the what the specific profile and characteristics are the answer is uh, no uh, not as of today certainly and on the other we had multiple contingencies um, from who we might play based on whether we qualified directly whether we had an intercontinental playoff and if we didn't qualify as well as um, opponents who were playing on the same dates that might be available. So there was contingencies in all cases on the games. Next up is Ivis. Go ahead, Ivis. Uh, Sunil, you, you mentioned earlier about, about some of the kind of topics that, that often are brought up whenever there's there's kind of setbacks, whether the pay-to-play model, inner-city soccer, uh, outreach into the Latino community, you know, things that, that people feel like are problems. Um, are there any of these topics that you think maybe will, will, will there'll be more of a push to, to, to improve on, maybe where you guys have had roadblocks before? Does a, a loss like this maybe kind of give a push that's needed for some improvement in some of these areas? Um, perhaps, I would say, I think first we have to we have to figure out what solutions are in those areas so you know let's just look at the pay-to-play model it'd be great to say that no one playing soccer recreational competitive soccer will pay anything that's not going to happen uh in the current environment and by the way it doesn't happen in most countries that players pay nothing that's a misnomer now what we have to do is make sure that players aren't prohibited from playing but if you can afford it there's you know you pay you pay for whether it's a piano lesson or or soccer um you know our resources and those resources of the leagues and so on would be would be greatly taxed if we said we're not going to have any uh pay to play models but what you want is as things become more expensive where they where there is a roadblock you'd like to do something about that MLS through its <laughs> programs the academy program through its scholarship programs has done that at one level but we need to go deeper than that. Uh, or inner city stuff, 
especially the foundation is doing a lot of work there, and we're doing a lot of work there on training centers and so on. But A, we need to find the right solutions, what will work, and we're trying some experimental things in different parts of the country. Started a program with some very young players in, in the state of Washington um, and seeing if that's scalable and transportable and some things that have worked elsewhere. So finding the solutions, and then I think really what the question you're asking is, to the extent that we have political hurdles, can, does this help overcome them? I think the answer is yes, because we'll have a unified mission and people will see an urgency. But we have to collectively find out what we believe is the right way to go before we try to implement programs. Next up is Ian Thomas. Go ahead, Ian. Hi, Sunil. Uh, curious, do you, do you think that U.S. soccer needs to make some changes in terms of its, its structure and, and add, add some folks in that perhaps look at player development or the technical director role or even, you know, provide a salary or incentivize the position that you currently hold? Do you think that would make any difference uh, going forward? Um, you know, we, we have looked at some of those things, and we will continue to look at those. We went through a quite a major review of our governance uh, two years ago uh, with outside help from McKinsey, um, and then we went through a, quite an extensive review of leadership in our staff uh, with Hydrogen Struggles, and we continue to do those things, and we didn't think there was major lapses in those areas, but we wanted to get better, especially given some of the things that were happening in the international world. So we will look at all of those things again, uh, whether it's additional resources in the technical area, whether it's some different structure, whether it's the compensation structure of staff, all of those things. Um, you know, We don't have anything perfect here for sure, um, in any of those areas. So any place we think we can get better and have outside people help us do that, we're happy to look at that and we'll continue to do that. The board has been very much engaged in doing just that over the last 18 months. Thanks, Ian. Uh, before we get to Paul Kennedy, the next three will be Jonathan Tannenwald, Brian Scaretta, and George Karashi. Paul, go ahead. Hi, Sunil. Um, Tuesday is going to be a day that is going to be written about for a very long time. Um, was there anything before the game or as the game started very early in the game that was uh, gave you any premonition that uh, that something was wrong? And, you know, how confident were you going into the game that uh, the U.S. would get the point or the three points to go through? Um, listen, any time you're playing a do-or-die game, um, you're nervous about it. So that was no different. Um it's the first time since 89 in Trinidad, as it turned out, that we've gone down to game 10. So I, no premonition, premonitions about, about not advancing, but uh, nervous and concerned always. Um, and in the end, you know, we didn't get it done, but there was no premonition about that. Next up, Jonathan Tannenwald. Go ahead. Jonathan, you there? You hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. All right. Sunil, as I understand it, there's a nominating and governance committee for potential candidates in the next election, whoever they may be, for U.S. soccer president, and that you are on that board. If you run, would you recuse yourself? And if you don't run, would you recuse yourself? Um, so I've already recused myself from all, uh, all uh, actions of the nominating and governance committee. And so we're clear what the nominating and governance committee does. By our statutes, the president is on that committee, clearly recuses himself, and, and I have to date on anything from that committee. 
the committee oversees the election and also makes recommendations on our independent directors and things like that, which we've done uh, most recently with uh, Lisa Carnoy and Val Ackerman. So the role of that committee is a lot broader than just the elections, uh, but I have recused myself from any, anything to do with the election, yes. And it's not a secret who's on that committee. That's posted on our website. Thanks, Jonathan. Next up, Brian Scaretta. Hi, uh, good morning, Sunil. Um, just want to rehash, uh, I know someone else asked about it, but first of all, the technical director role, it was brought into place when Jurgen was uh, the head coach, and he was also the, the technical director, and then it was out of place when he was fired. Do you see bringing that role back perhaps as a second, uh, as someone who's not the head coach? Then also, how busy do you want to see the national team in 2018? Because it, it doesn't have another game, another meaningful game for about 20 months. I mean, what is, how what are you looking for to this team to achieve in the meantime? Well, on the first, we, we ideally would like to have a technical director. Um, most of that responsibility over the last year, year and a half, has been filled, in fact, by Tab Ramos. Um, he's had the title of youth technical director, but since so much of what we do is under the age of 23 in terms of player development, Tab's had quite a wide role in addition to coaching the under-20 team uh, and overseeing the 20s, the 17s, and all of our appointments in our national youth team. So for the most part, he's filled that role. Um, we do see having two distinct roles if we can find the right people. Uh, that role is a very unique and specific role uh, and, frankly, in many ways harder to fill than, than, than the national team coach role. And it also, in terms of measuring the success or failure or progress of that role is a lot harder because it's a long-term uh, situation. In terms of uh, activity in 2018 and the rest of this year, we'll have a full program of games, and I expect us to play on, on all, all the FIFA dates um, as well as uh, some games prior to the, prior to the uh, World Cup with teams that are going to the World Cup or, or not and may want friendly games. So we'll have a full calendar of games. Thanks, Brian. Before we get to George, the next three will be Sam Stetschkel, Peter Nolan, and Bo Durr. Go ahead, Brian, or go ahead, George. Uh, thanks, Neil. Uh, hi, Neil. Um, like Jonathan, I have a question about the nomination process for USF president. Um, there was a significant change made at the last AGM. Specifically, the uh, the rules now state that if a member nominates more than one candidate, both nominations are voided. Uh, my understanding is that this aligns the process with the way FIFA handles its vote, which doesn't give me a whole ton of comfort. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, uh, I guess the third part is I, I understand that this past summer you or someone on your behalf sent out a letter to members asking them to nominate you for the next term. Uh, and so I have two questions uh, relating to this. Uh, a, can you just confirm that this letter was sent out? And B, uh, Together, the rule change and the letter seem like an attempt to block challengers uh, to the position. If that's not the case, can you explain the thinking behind uh, taking those actions? Yeah, so the whole process is different. Um, up until a year ago or 18 months ago, actually, I guess two, two, 18 months ago, 20 months ago, we changed our nomination and rules to have um, – uh, nominations come long before the annual meeting and the reason the primary reason for that was to be able to have background checks and that does come out of all of the FIFA stuff FIFA's had that process for some time without the background checks so we've mimicked that nominations are due I think two months before uh, elections and once you do that in the past you could nominate people on the floor in fact that's been generally the only way to nominate so now you can nominate people in advance um, we have 
I don't know what the number is, probably 120 um, different member associations that can nominate people. Um, maybe it's 125 or 130. So it's a pretty big base, and you need three nominations uh, to, to be eligible. Um, I don't think that should, should preclude or prohibit anyone. The FIFA issue that came up was one of the candidates only had five nominations, and at the FIFA level, five were, in, uh, five were needed, and in one case, um, somebody from the Caribbean had nominated two people. And so one of the one of the votes uh, for David Knockhead was deemed ineligible, so he only had four and was the, unable to to stand. The obvious solution to that is either the people that are nominating you make sure they understand that, or get more than three. Um, and yes, I have reached out to people about uh, about uh, endorsing me or nominating me uh, in the last few weeks. Thanks, George. Next up is Sam. You know, one thing I've seen over the past few days here is that some people think that there's a need for more people with a high-level playing background to be involved, not just in the coaching side of the federation, but on the administration side as well. Um, do you think there's a need for that? Um, perhaps, and, and I think we'll see some of that. Um, but it depends on what you mean on the administration side. So I'd use Tab, Tab Ramos as an example. Uh, Tab is involved in as a coach, but he's also involved in our administration as the as a technical youth director. And you're seeing a lot of that um, in, uh, in in MLS. So if I look at Carlos Bocanegra, who's not coaching, or Michael Burns, who's not coaching, might we need some more expertise and high-level playing experience at, uh, at U.S. soccer? That's something we're certainly open to and would look at, sure. Having people with expertise, whether it's through coaching or, or playing or both, uh, is something obviously that we're open to and, and would uh, would welcome. Next up is Peter Nolan. Uh, yes, hello, Sunil. Um, so now, given that uh, you you were the, the final voice in in hiring the last two coaches, and given what has transpired, not making the World Cup, do you understand? Uh, can you understand the point of view of many people who think maybe someone else should be uh, in that position for the next hiring? Sure, I can understand. I can understand the frustration with people. Sure. Next up is Bo Durr. Bo, are you there? Here and uh, following up a bit on uh, George's question about the uh, nominating interpreters uh, process, uh, the timeline now it stands much farther out, and also the meeting I believe is earlier than it has been in past years. So as of today. Uh, we're 120 days from that uh, meeting, and so that means in 60 days, everyone has to be nominated. So if you're still deciding whether or not to run, is that going to create a potential void where um, you would have to take into account whether you're happy with the people who've nominated themselves so far or have been nominated so far? Or are there people that you're looking at who could potentially be president if you decide not to run? Uh, I haven't focused on those issues, and I have no idea if anyone has been nominated yet. Um, uh, so that I can't answer that. I, I don't know, uh, but I don't think the timetable is uh, quite compressed. In the past, uh, one could again do it on the day of. The rules have been in. Pl some of the rules have been in place for 18 months, and all of the rules were in place as of September 1st. Um, and I've read, like all of you have read, a number of people have expressed interest, and some have said they they plan to run. 
Um, so I don't, I'm not sure I, I follow. Um, there's still a couple of months for people to decide, and then a couple of months after that for the vetting process and background checks. All right, next two callers will be Franco Panizio and Mark Ziegler. Franco, are you there? Hey, Daniel, I'm here. Uh, Daniel, you, you said earlier you won't be resigning today. Uh, in most other federations around the world, uh, the person in your position would resign after a failure of this magnitude. Why aren't you resigning? Uh, why stay put, especially is, as, as, like you said earlier, you may not run again in February? Well, I, your, your first premise is, is not correct that most people around the world do that. Um, some do, and but it's certainly not most. We've got a lot of things on our agenda, including a World Cup bid uh, that is due in the end of March um, and a decision in uh, June. And so I, I don't uh, I don't plan to, to, to do that, and it's not the case that most people around the world do do that. Most coaches do, but it's not the case that most presidents do. And I'm not planning to. Next up is Mark Ziegler. Mark, you there? Yes. Uh, just to follow up on that last question, I just I'm just still a little confused. Um, with all due respect, why do you feel that you're still the right person to lead this federation? Why are you not resigning right now, and why are you entertaining, um, you know, the prospect of running another four years given what just happened? Um, because of everything, where the sport is now and the role I've played in it and the, the role I think I can play going forward if I choose to run. Plus, we have the World Cup bid. Uh, the sport is in a very, very different place than it was 10 years ago or 30 years ago when I first got involved. So it's all of that, Mark. All right, we have time for a couple more questions. Next up is Donald Wine. Uh, Donald, your line is open. Go ahead. Uh, good afternoon on the East Coast. Here's Neil. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Um, obviously, a lot of people are uh, upset at the fact that we have not qualified for the World Cup. What do you say to fans who are really upset, and what do you say to them uh, when they're calling for change and all these different issues from the top down to U.S. soccer? What do you say to the fans who are the dedicated supporters of the team? Um, what I say is we are, you know, <laughs> All of us involved in the game are also passionate about the team and are extraordinarily disappointed um, in every possible way, starting with me to everyone on our staff and everything else. So what we say is we, you know, we're, none of us is happy about not going. We, the one thing this has reconfirmed, obviously, is that the passion support we have for the team has grown tremendously. Um, and we're all very disappointed. Uh, so that's, that's what we say, and we will do everything we can to, to get the, the team and the program and all of our teams back on track so that we're successful. We're not always going to be successful, uh, that's for sure, but this is a big shock to the system. We understand that, and we understand how much frustration, anger, disappointment, hurt there is um, from Tuesday night. Yeah, just want to give a shout-out to the five points. Five points. Bird boys of Benedict Cosmos in the Cross Island yeah. crew. Uh, 
Yeah, it's New York street and white. What we bleed, you see and fight. Deed, it seems to be achieving. See, we do and did it right. Cause we're country loving, we above them. I'm just saying. All those lovely somethings come and see it in our playing. The fact of it is, rap from skin, tax, hash, and bliss. Reacts, tap, and we win. So fast, racking them in. Whether it's tag the wing, going back to the through the mid, cutting the seams. It seems we see anything to be. We got a ball and a dream. Got a ball and a dream. We do. I'm new, it's true. Fancy crew, down for you, no doubt they do. Surrounding you with bad views. Like shouting cues aloud to you without the dudes. Around my crews, I'm tracking past, no excuse. Session the lesson, it's not about perfection. The work's the test, and F's connected like a method. Not breathless out the training, something's gotta be corrected. Rushing and acceleration at the start's the most suggested. Infected with greatness, potential is spacious. Out the world, just face it. The work becomes contagious. Some may say we made it, but now we've just begun. Sorry if you hate it, because I can tell you that I'm far from done.